Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. Last week was Valentine's Day. I love Valentine's Day. I love any excuse to celebrate the people I love. My husband and I were reminiscing about when we were getting married and how different we were then almost 12 years ago. I was in my first real job out of college and I had a lot of growing up to do, but I was engaged and deliriously happy. And I thought, man, this must be how everyone who's married feels. That is until our department went out for a team building lunch. One of the women I worked with heard me gushing about my engagement and challenged my mood on the spot. Why would you want to get married? You know you'll both be different people in 10 years, right? I'm only telling you because I wish someone would have told me. That's why I'm never getting married again. I stopped in my tracks. I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be the same and to always be this in love with my future husband. I wanted sunshine and rainbows and happiness. And in the same breath, I thought, well, isn't that the point to change, to grow, to evolve and to do that together? She was right. We did change in the decades since we've said I do. And I was right, too. We didn't just change. We've evolved and we've done it together, even when it wasn't always sunshine and rainbows and happiness. But for some people. Their marriages can't recover from the challenges the years bring. Some people think divorce is the easy way out and annulment is just like a giant undo button. Or if you're Catholic and you get divorced, it means you're excommunicated. With all the fog surrounding this topic in the church, I thought it's time we cleared the air once and for all. I'm excited to welcome Barb Betwee, the director of the Tribunal for the Diocese, to talk to us about what an annulment is and isn't and how the church feels about divorce. Hi, Barb. Thank you so much for joining me on Candid Catholic Convos. I'm really excited to sit down and chat with you today. Oh, thank you for having me. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do for the diocese? Currently, I'm serving as uh, the chancellor for the diocese and also um, director of the tribunal, where I serve as a judge in the tribunal. Wow, that's pretty awesome. So how did you kind of fall into this type of ministry, I guess you would say. That's sort of a long story. My first love is the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults, or CIA. And I was directing the whole process uh, for another diocese, the Diocese of Alton and Johnstown, which is our neighbor. And um, I was getting a lot of uh, requests from parish directors wanting to know how to help people who wanted to come into the church but couldn't because they were divorced and remarried. And I had no idea how to tell them how to do that. So I found out that Catholic University offered a two-week seminar in the summer um, to kind of introduce people to the whole process. So I went. 
and absolutely was awestruck because everything I thought I knew about canon law, I realized was a misconception. And I was very impressed with the faculty and just everything. I was just really very intrigued by the whole thing. And the head of the department said, why don't you study canon law? And I just laughed thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not, you know. And the more I thought about it, I thought, why not? So anyway, I ended up applying and ended up getting accepted into the program and wasn't real sure how I was going to pay for it. It was a five-summer program, which was a big commitment, and I had to live down there, and ended up getting a full scholarship from the university, which was very helpful. And so I ended up getting my um, license in canon law and became a judge. That's awesome. I love how every time you thought you couldn't do it, God was like, oh, no, 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 (laughs) I have a way for you. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So you talked about misconceptions and how a lot of what you thought about canon law was just this misconception. I feel like that's kind of par for the course for a lot of Catholics and especially for people who aren't Catholic. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that sometimes annulments are referred to as like a Catholic divorce. Mm -hmm. So how does the church actually define marriage and divorce? And how is a divorce actually different from an annulment? There's a lot in there. (laughs) (laughs) I actually brought uh, a formal definition from the documents of Vatican II that describe marriage as the intimate union of marriage as a mutual giving of two persons and the good of children which demands total fidelity from the spouses and require an unbreakable bond. So in that definition, we have what the church sees as the elements of marriage, meaning that when people get married, they pledge, they vow to be faithful to each other, to be open to children, to um, that this is an, uh, an unbreakable bond, so it's for life, and that the purpose of marriage is not just for the good of children, but for the good of the spouse. It's good for people to be married. It's, it's to help the other person in their spiritual development and their emotional well-being. So that's all what marriage is, is supposed to be, okay? Now, <clears throat> this whole idea of divorce um, and annulments being Catholic divorce, nothing could be further from the truth, Okay. Divorce is a civil reality, Um, just as when you marry, the state has control over, you know, you need a marriage license and there's certain requirements, so that when you divorce, um, those legal requirements have to be separated. That's what the divorce is, that whatever bound you together legally is now resolved, broken. It's it's not a total separation because sometimes there's ongoing responsibilities. For instance, sometimes there's alimony. Sometimes there's um, children, you know, have to be taken care of. And there's there's further. It's not that the bond is complete or the marriage is the um, the responsibility to the other person isn't completely broken. Usually, uh, often with divorce, but that's the purpose. It's a legal separation. Divorce happens when a marriage kind of goes bad and the people decide that they can no longer live together or one wants to move on and, you know, that's not what an annulment is. In a divorce, you're worried about what happened at the end of the marriage. With an annulment, what we're looking at is what could have been wrong at the beginning of the marriage. Mm. And so the word annulment is, isn't really a good word either. It's one we all use. I use it um, as a shorthand, 
but the word, the term the church uses is declaration of nullity. Okay, so what the church is doing is declaring that from the beginning there was something defective or invalid about this union. Sometimes people say, well, I can get a nomin because he was unfaithful. He was unfaithful after 20 years of marriage. Well, that, that may be a reason for a divorce, but it's not a reason for an annulment because what we need to look at is what was his intention at the time he got married? Did he intend to be unfaithful 20 years later? Chances are not. Okay. So when we look at an annulment, what we have to examine is were people free to uh, give a valid consent? Were they pressured by something? Did they have the ability to give valid consent? So there's a lot of factors that we have to look at. But with a declaration of nullity, what we're doing is saying at the time of consent, was each person able to do this validly? And so what the church does is declare that the marriage from the beginning was null. It's nothing that the church is doing Sometimes you, when you think of the word annulment, you think of a magic eraser and the, the church is coming along and just erasing everything and pretending it all didn't happen, you know, that, that um, this marriage never existed. I hear that a lot. No, we're not saying the marriage never existed. There was a marriage, you know. It's, the question is, was this marriage entered into validly or not? Uh, sometimes I explain it. Think of when two people get married, they they join their lives together as if you were putting two bulls together. And uh, at the time they exchange consent, there's a glue that's put on the edge of each of the bulls so that when they join together, they join their lives together. And it's a super glue. I mean, it's it can't be dissolved. It's indissoluble. The only thing that can dissolve it is is death. So that when one party dies... That bond is dissolved and frees the other person to marry again. Okay. So what we look at with a declaration of nullity is when that bond was formed, was there anything wrong? Was there a little crack that nobody even saw the day of the wedding? Nobody was aware of. But as people kind of went through the years of marriage and all the tension and the things that happened that crack just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually the marriage ended in divorce. Well, if we can go back and say, ah, oh, there was a crack there, okay? That's kind of a, a dumb image, but sometimes it helps to visualize that that's what we're looking at. And what the church is saying is they're declaring that, yes, there was that crack there from the beginning. So it just we have to look at the very beginning of the relationship, I love how you kind of how you rephrase that that the divorce is the end, but a, a declaration of nullity goes back to the beginning. Like Correct. from the start, was there a problem that we didn't? See? I really, I really like that. Now that we are trying to get to the root cause of the issue, not right maybe a symptom of the problem. That's really that's really fascinating. Especially in your work with RCIA, I'm assuming a lot of the people coming in weren't Catholic or maybe they were trying to get a better understanding of their faith. Mm -hmm. So are annulments or declarations of nullity just for Catholics? It's for anyone who wants to marry in the Catholic Church. Is Usually that's what people um, petition for a declaration of nullity for. They want to marry in the church. 
And the church says, well, you can't marry because you were already married, even if you were divorced. So it can be a Catholic who wants to remarry. It can be someone who wants to marry a Catholic. Okay, so someone who uh, is Methodist or not even any religion at all, but they want to marry a Catholic and the Catholic wants to be married in the church, then that person, if they were married and divorced, would have to seek a declaration of nullity. That's interesting. I'm sure this is probably a question that you have gotten a lot. Like, If I'm civilly divorced, why do I also need Mm -hmm. an annulment on top of it? I already went through the process once and it was painful. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to go through this again? The church doesn't recognize divorce. That's a non-entity. Okay. That, that's something that people may have to go through for civil reasons, for legal reasons, to break ties, to break, you know, property settlements and all that kind of stuff. But as far as the church is concerned, when you marry, you marry for life. Okay. So even if a person divorces, the church's teaching is they're still married, even though they're not living together, even though they may not have any financial responsibility to each other legally, they are still married. Okay. So the divorce is sort of irrelevant. And the church would say, you can't marry in the church because you, you're already married, you know, and we believe that the bond that was created when you married doesn't matter if you were married before a priest or before a minister or before a justice of the peace, or if you got married by Elvis in, in Las Vegas, if you exchanged consent, you are married, okay? And that marriage bond is indissoluble. However, the church also teaches that no one is bound to the impossible. And if, in fact, that bond wasn't formed because of something that was defective about the consent, then you're not bound to it, and you are free to marry. So that's why the we have to look at the beginning and see was it defective or not. Because the, just the divorce tells us nothing. Right, right. That does make a lot of sense. So I want to go back to the idea of like a declaration of nullity. What does it mean to nullify a marriage. You mentioned that it's not like taking a magic eraser. Right. You know, the, the marriage, you know, never existed. What about children who are introduced through the marriage? I'm assuming that doesn't make them illegitimate, but can you kind of go into um, a little bit more what it means mm-hmm. to actually nullify the marriage? Okay. We're not nullifying the marriage. We're not saying the marriage never existed were saying that something was invalid from the beginning, that the bond that was supposed to be created was never created. That's what's null. The bond is null. The bond is non-effective. Okay. So the whole issue of children, if we are thinking that we're erasing the marriage, then it's logical to say, well, if there was no marriage, then my children were illegitimate. Okay. Except that the premise is wrong. We're not saying there was no marriage. We're saying, you know, there was a marriage. Was the consent valid or not? It's like um, if you have a driver's license, that's invalid for some reason. It's you have the wrong address on it or I don't know any reason why it could be invalid. Okay. It's not like the driver's license doesn't exist. It's there. It's a piece of paper. It exists. Okay. But there's something invalid 
it doesn't have any effect. Okay, so if we declare that the bond was invalid, that means it was it, it couldn't take effect. You can't be bound to this marriage since this bond was never created from the beginning. The perfect example, my nephew and his wife bought tickets for a big for a hockey game, a big hockey game in Pittsburgh. And they were so excited. They were going, they were staying overnight in a hotel and you know, it was a big deal. So they get to the game and they wouldn't let them in because the tickets they bought online were frauds. Now, it wasn't that they didn't buy tickets. It wasn't that they didn't spend good money for tickets. All of that was true. They had the tickets in hand. They just weren't able to use them because they were invalid. Okay? It's the same kind of thing. Yes, there was a marriage, but was there something that could have invalidated that marriage, that consent from the beginning? And as far as children is concerned, the church has always dealt with this issue. So there's even a canon in the Code of Canon Law that very specifically says any child born to a marriage, I'm paraphrasing, that is later declared to be invalid is legitimate. Okay, so even church law says they're legitimate. Legitimacy is a legal issue. If they were born to a legal marriage, they're legal. You know, they can't be declared illegitimate. That makes a lot of sense. And I really love that that metaphor of of the tickets and you know they bought it under the right pretenses it just happens to be that they were invalid so that that helps i think kind of give us this nice image to work with so thank you for that i think another question that some people might have is will a divorce affect their status in the catholic church can they still receive the sacraments if they're divorced Absolutely. There was a time in church history when that probably wasn't the case. Um, That hasn't been true for a long, long time. Um, And we still, it's the biggest heartache in the tribunal when, you know, someone says, I just want to get this annulment so I can go back to communion. And we say, but you're not remarried. Why aren't you going to communion? Why I didn't think I could because I was divorced. Mm. Like that is just heart-wrenching to hear that. The divorce, as I said, doesn't affect your status. In the eyes of the church, you're still married, even though you may not be living with the person. The issue comes up if you try to remarry, okay? Because at that point, um, you would be living with someone in a state that looks like marriage, but in the eyes of the church isn't marriage. And so that would create an obstacle to, to receiving the sacraments. But the divorce absolutely does not create an obstacle. That's very comforting because I think that's a that's probably a misconception that's like lived for eons. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for some, they kind of take it as as truth. So that's really comforting to hear you say that no, it it doesn't affect your status in the Catholic Church unless XYZ happens. Yeah. And even for people who are married divorced and then remarried outside the church that doesn't mean you're not you can't receive the sacraments but you're still a member of the church you know sometimes people remove themselves from the community and stop going to mass and and i find that sad too you know you're certainly welcome within the church and we church community needs you to be part of our community and we want to help you regulate your situation yeah, I, I I really, 
I can hear the heartbreak in your voice because it is heartbreaking to feel like you don't belong yeah. somewhere where that's always been kind of home. Mm-hmm. We keep talking about misconceptions and I think the fear around annulments stems largely from misconceptions and from not truly understanding the process. I've never been through an annulment myself, but I've heard it can be considered very invasive. Mm-hmm. I've also heard it can be considered very healing. Mm-hmm. So could you kind of walk me through like the Reader's Digest version of the process and how it can in fact be healing for both parties? Okay. Before I go through the process, let me say a couple things about healing and invasiveness. Is it invasive? Yes. For people who are especially private people, they find it very invasive. But you have to remember, we're talking about the most intimate relationship of your life. So yes, it's going to be inv- it's going to feel invasive to talk about some of the the more that kind of uh, close relationship that you had with someone else. Especially if you're a very private uh, person, I can see that that would be feel like it's very invasive. Um, is it healing? It can be if you let it be. I I had a, an experience a couple months ago, and it just kind of brought this all to mind. Um, I had to have some foot surgery because I my foot was I was could barely walk on it, so I had foot surgery. And after the surgery, I went through about three weeks of tremendous pain. And I kept thinking, this was supposed to make me feel better. It's not making me feel better. I mean, I feel worse than I did before. But I had to get through that. That was part of the healing process. This, you know, pain I was in, now it feels great. You know, it's everything I wanted it to be, basically. So that's kind of, we. I once had a woman say to me, you said this would be a healing process. It's not. It's painful. It's horrible. It's like, Sometimes you have to go through the pain to get to the other side. And if you don't, you can't ever come to that point where you can say, I've dealt with this. I'm I'm healed from it. Okay. So I can't, I can say it can be healing. I can't say it's not going to be painful. You know, it depends on your particular situation. Okay. As far as the process is concerned, In Harrisburg, what we ask people to do is go to our website, and there's a link there called Beginning the Annulment Process, and there's one in English and one in Spanish, and it'll take you to a survey. And the survey is just basic information about your prior marriage. When we receive that in the tribunal, we determine what kind of case it is. There's several different kinds of ways you can go. if we find out that it's a formal, what people call an annulment, okay, then we ask you to meet with a case assessor. And case assessors are people from around the diocese. We have them in every deanery in every county. Uh, volunteers from parishes who have been trained to work with people and help them get their documents together. So they usually meet with a case assessor once or twice, usually twice, and um, the case assessor helps them fill out all the documents. And there are several documents. Uh, there's a petition booklet. There's um, the petition itself, which we call the libellus. There's, they have to pre- tell us why they think their marriage was invalid. So they have to give us proposed grounds. And the case assessor helps them to determine what grounds to use. Um, They also have to accumulate a lot of uh, documents, for instance, the marriage license, the divorce decree, 
their baptismal certificate if they're Catholic. So the case assessor helps them assimilate everything or gather everything they need to formally petition. When that's all done, the petition is sent to the tribunal and it's given to a judge. The judge looks it over, makes sure everything is there and in order, uh, determines if the grounds are worth looking at or not. And if they are, then the judge accepts the case and sets preliminary grounds on what it's going to be heard on. At that point, the person's former spouse, which we call the respondent, is notified. And that's an absolute must because there are two people in the marriage. So we need to hear from both people um, if the other person chooses to participate or not. They don't have to participate, but they have to be invited to participate. So we let them know what the proposed grounds are. Uh, the respondent tells us whether he agrees or she agrees, or if they could propose other grounds. They can tell us their side of the story. So after we hear from both parties, then the judge will say, okay, this, these are the grounds, and they will set the grounds that the, the case will be heard on. At that point, both parties are invited to name witnesses, people who knew them at the time of the marriage, who can testify uh, to what the conditions were that could have been invalidating. The witnesses are then questioned, usually uh, by questionnaires. Sometimes they request a personal interview. We can do that too. And so we wait for the witness testimony to come in. Uh, when it comes in, we look at it. We, the judge determines there's enough here to make a decision. He will uh, close the case and invite the parties to come in and read all the testimony. And so they can come in and see what the witnesses say. They have a chance to rebut the testimony if they want to, or to add to it, or to even present more witnesses if they think it will help their case. After that, it goes to the person that we call the defender of the bond. And the defender's job is what it's saw. He defends the bond. We're saying the bond was invalid. The defender's job is to say, no, it was valid. So it's sort of like the the uh, prosecuting attorney. He's this guy. The defender of the bond's job is to point out to the judge every reason why he should not grant the annulment. Okay. So once the defender presents his brief, then it'll go to the judges for decision. And when the decision is made, the parties are notified. Uh, they have a chance to come into the tribunal and read the decision, why it was made. Sometimes I find that if when you talk about healing after they've gone through all this, when they finally read what the judge, who's pretty objective, they don't really know the parties. They're kind of looking at it, and there's and they read the the reasoning for why it was declared invalid. It comes together. They sort of understand, you know. But not all, not everyone comes in to read the sentence. A lot of people are just happy that it's, it's done. <laughs> um, both parties have a right to appeal the decision. If they don't like the decision, they can appeal it to our Metropolitan, which is the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, and they can um, rehear the case down there. They can also appeal it to the Roman Rota, which is sort of like the Supreme Court of the Catholic Church. They can appeal directly to that to them. So um, it's not; it doesn't have to be the final word. There's always a, an appeal. And the judges know that, you know, you have to be open to the fact of maybe I got this wrong, you know, maybe it'll be 
seen differently by other judges at the appellate level. But very, very few of our cases get appealed. That's so fascinating. I, when we talk about judges and you know the defender, I'm immediately picturing like a courtroom drama on TV. Like, does it actually take place in like a courtroom kind of setting, or is most of it done almost by proxy, where like you don't have to physically be in the room listening to this kind of thing? You, the the parties are never in the same room together. Both parties can request an interview in the tribunal, and they will come usually at our law library and are interviewed by the judge. But it, it's not a courtroom. It's much more follows the European um, judicial system than the American judicial system. Gotcha. That's pretty fascinating. I never knew that. You kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, so I think I know the answer to this, but do you need an annulment if your spouse dies, or is an annulment just in cases where you're divorced and your spouse, your former spouse is still living? That's correct. We believe that marriage is indissoluble until death. That's why we say until death do us part. So when one party dies, the bond is broken and the person's free to remarry. Gotcha. What advice would you give to someone considering going through the annulment process? Or even better, if we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, what advice would you give to someone considering entering the sacrament of marriage? <laughs> no one wants to hear my advice on entering the sacrament of marriage. <laughs> Mostly because to the by the time they make that decision, the decision's made and they're not open. Right. You know? <laughs> this is what I'm doing. I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important for people considering marriage to be very open with each other on what their expectations are. I can't believe how many times we talk to people and say, well, what was your, um, were you both open to children? And they say, well, we never really talked about children. It's like, how can you not talk about children? They, they assumed that the other person wanted what they wanted and they never really talked about it. Or if there are different faiths, they really never talked about how we're going to no negotiate this, you know. Um, so there are really important things that need to be talked about before people marry. And I think people sometimes get overwhelmed by the feelings and the romance and the marriage, the preparations for the wedding that they forget there's life after the wedding. You know, they spend a lot of time preparing for that one day and very little time preparing for the life after that one day. So if people would spend as much time preparing for marriage as they do for a wedding, I think there would be a lot less... I don't know that there'd be a lot less divorces. I think there would be a lot less weddings. <laughs> I think people would realize we're not doing this for the right reasons. Right. Yeah, we got married uh, in the Diocese of, of Philadelphia. And I remember during our pre-cana that somebody from the tribunal came in and talked very briefly about annulments. And, you know, my husband and I were like, Psh, that'll never happen to us. And then, you know, not that we're anywhere close to getting a divorce or an annulment or anything, but... We are very different people now, mm -hmm. 12 years later than we were when we got married, you know, and we now have three children and all these other things coming to the surface of how he was raised versus how I was raised and how we should yeah. agree on raising the children. Those are things that, like you said, you don't you don't think about. You're so excited for the flowers and the magic and the romance that those are just kind of put off to the side. And 
like you said, there there's a whole life to be lived mm-hmm. after that one very special day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a real opportunity for for pre cana to to dive into that a little mm-hmm. bit more of like, yeah, this is gonna be great. It's gonna be awesome. Then what? Yeah. Let's talk about the then what. <laughs> Another big thing people fail to talk about is their families of origin. People come from very specific families with their own traditions and their own holiday celebrations. And how are we going to negotiate? Now we have two families. How are we going to create our own traditions but still be a part of our family of origin? Sometimes families of origin are rather dysfunctional. And can we realize uh, and um, help to navigate some of that, how that's formed me and my perception of what marriage should be and look at that realistically? That's a very, very good point. It, it helps you to establish boundaries of, like you said, what you expect and what everybody brings. So we all come with our own baggage and then we're just going to combine luggage essentially mm-hmm. um so having clear a clear vision that everybody agrees on is probably something worth exploring a little bit mm-hmm. at least a little bit more before you yeah. i mean you can't yes. talk everything out you no can't, i mean that's part of the process and part of the mystery you know is working through that stuff there has to be an openness to work through it yes absolutely As far as preparing for the annulment process, I can tell you some of the big roadblocks we run into. One thing is people do not want to involve their former spouse for one reason or another, and sometimes they say, well, they don't know where they are. It's really easy to find former spouses nowadays, but even if they absolutely say, no, I haven't been able to, we have a program, you know, that we purchase in the tribunal that can find most people. And we will find them, okay? If if they're findable, we will find them. And it's crucial because if we don't and we go ahead and do the case and the respondent finds out that their marriage was declared invalid and they had no input, they can appeal that and it can be overturned. So all the work that you put in, all the time, all the effort can be for nothing. The church is very, very insistent that we contact the respondent. He, the person doesn't have to participate, but they have to be aware of it. Most of our respondents do not participate, but they've all been told about it. So that's one thing. You know, if you're reticent about involving the respondent, maybe this isn't the time to petition, you know, until some of those issues are resolved. Sometimes people say, but he's violent, you know, he's, he's been abusive, or she's, she'll, I don't know what she's going to do, she'll turn the kids against me. Those are all valid concerns. Um, I don't mean to minimize them, but we can't minimize our obligation either. So I believe that timing is crucial, and I believe God works through things, and maybe this isn't the time. Maybe in two years, things will be changed, and then that's the time to petition. So you have to look at that. The other big roadblock we run into is with witnesses. We ask people, when they name witnesses, to tell them or ask them 
if they can use their name and if they're willing to provide testimony so that they know when they get the letter from us, they're expecting it um, and they're willing to cooperate. A lot of times we wait and we wait and we wait for witnesses to send their testimony back, and that's what drags the case on and on and on. So people should, uh, first of all, find out if the witness is willing to um, to respond and that they will agree to do it in a timely fashion. So I, I'd say they're the two big things in, in getting ready for, for applying for an annulment. Hmm. Really good things to to know before you walk in to the process. So thank you for sharing that. So you mentioned a survey earlier. Mm-hmm. Where can we go to find that or, or learn more about the process if it's something somebody wants to explore? Okay, we have information on our website. If you go to the um, diocesan website and go to the tribunal page, um, there's a lot of information there. Uh, we even have presentations. Uh, there's one in English by Father Clark, our judicial vicar, and there's one in Spanish by Father Bateman, who's one of the canonists on on staff. And basically, it's a 45-minute presentation explaining um, the church's understanding of uh, declarations of nullity, how to how to go about, you know, what are some of the grounds. It really is sort of an in-depth look at what this is all about, and you can. Watch it at your leisure whenever you want to. Well, Barb, thank you so much for joining me today and kind of clearing the air on the annulment or the declaration of nullity process. I really hope that whoever needed to hear this heard it. And I really appreciate your time today. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.